0: So I wanted to uh, continue in the series that we've been on over the last couple of weeks called The Greatest Story Ever Told. Um, this is such an awesome uh, time to take a look at everything that takes place in, at a... I'd say like a bird's eye view of what the Bible is talking about going all the way from creation uh, through the nomadic tribes of Israel going throughout the uh, the wilderness uh, into the time of the judges and the kings and all the way through Jesus and we're going to talk about the early church but the more we get an understanding of what is taking place the more it draws us to the place of deeper connection and relationship with Jesus, And so we spent time talking about creation and uh, we went through Abraham, Father Abraham, how God got a hold of his life and drew him out of uh, his, his descendants, out of slavery and into a time where they were able to go in and to stand right at the edge of the promise that God had in store for them. But unfortunately, because they lacked the faith to step into that promise, they ended up going back into the wilderness until an entire generation that didn't believe in God had died off so that that next generation of faith could rise up and take the promise. Hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, as we said in the first week, if you go through the very first 12 to 14 chapters of Genesis, you're talking about nearly 2000 years of history. Um, last week we went a little bit further in Genesis, and that covers maybe another 800 years of history. So we've covered a lot of history here in the Bible, but there's some of these things that we really need to, to focus on this morning. So I want to pick up where we left off last week was with Joshua getting ready to go into the promised land that God had said he would give to them. Now, if I can back up just a second here, Moses or, or Abraham was told by God hundreds of years earlier, nearly 600 years earlier, as he was in the land of Canaan, God visits him and says, your ancestors will possess this land. This will be theirs. Everything you see will be theirs. And Abraham had to walk by faith and never seeing the promise for himself, And the children of Israel, that would be his descendants, they ended up going into slavery, ended up going through the wilderness, but they're at the place now where they're just about to step into God's blessing, which is what I want to look at today, is God's blessing all the way to exile, and again, how that that really speaks to the sin cycle that we talked about last week, not the spin cycle, the sin cycle, and what it means for us in our relationship with Jesus. And so here's what God is speaking to Joshua. We can read this in Joshua 1, verses 6 through 9. He says, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful. Say that word for me. Say careful. careful. Oh, be careful. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go. So, I want to start here by looking at what God is defining as the terms of blessing for Israel. Now, we talked about this a little bit uh, a while ago in a series that we did called The King is Coming. And how as they're getting ready to take possession of the promise that God has for them, he tells them, I have some concerns for you. I'm worried for you that in the season of blessing, you might become convinced that everything you have is yours, that you did it, that you accomplished it. And so it's in the same spirit that God is speaking to the, the Israelites and telling them, when you go into the promised land, here's what is most important. It's not finding the nicest house and checking out Zillow. It's not going on Carvana and finding the newest, the latest model. It is spending time with me, spending time in the word of God and meditating day and night. Now, I know we hear the term meditating. We think transcendental meditation. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying it should be on our thoughts, on our minds every single day. And then that next most important part, we should be living it in every single action and step. And he says that only when you do this, Will you be successful? Now, if I've said it once, you probably heard me say it 50 times. Whenever we see in Scripture where God uses covenantal uh, terms, it's always, if you, then I. If you do this, then I will do this. And he's laying this out for them right here. If you obey the laws of Moses, if you meditate on it, if you study it, if you obey it, then I will bless you. Then when you go into the land, you'll have nothing to fear because I will be with you. These are his terms of blessing that he is giving for Israel. So Israel says, yes, this is what we're going to do. I'm sure many of you remember the the great line from Joshua that you've seen on every single uh, dollar general plaque that has ever been made. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? You've seen that before? That's what Joshua culminates with. He says to the people, listen, we're about to enter the land. There's going to be a lot of things that we could choose. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And all of Israel says, we're going to serve the Lord too. And so they go into the promised land. Now, God is with them. He tells them, I'm going to help you to conquer. Every single enemy that you come up against will not be able to stand against you. You're just going to conquer all of them. They go in, and the first battle they take on is the Battle of Jericho. Anybody hear the Battle of Jericho before? Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, go to a chorus concert. They sing it in every single one. Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Sorry. Jericho is a fortified city in the Promised Land, and God says, I'm going to give it to you. Not through some militaristic overpowering, I'm just going to give it to you. And here's how you're going to do it. You're going to go in. You're going to march around the city for seven days. And on the seventh day, the seventh time around, you're going to blow the trumpets and shout and just believe by faith that God has given you this city. And so we read this is exactly what happens. They go around. They shout. The walls come down. They take over the city. They go on this conquest to just start beating all of the different people in the regions because God's telling them, I have blessing in store for you. But in order to live out that blessing, you're going to have to get out all of these other people that are living in the land. Because if you don't, you might be tempted to start serving some of their gods. You might be tempted to start living according to their customs. And so God speaks very plainly. He says, you've got to get all of these things out of the promised land that I'm giving to you, because if you don't, it will become a stumbling block for you. And this is what eventually happens because God knows this is what's going to happen. And we read this in Joshua chapter nine, where a group of people who live far away decide or pretend to live far away, want to deceive Joshua and the, in the Israelites. Here's what it says in Joshua nine verses three through five, when the people of Gibeon heard that what Joshua had done to Jericho and AI, they resorted to deception to save themselves. It's always a good plan. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered saddlebags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn out patched sandals and ragged clothes, and the bread they took with them was dry and moldy. Now here's what they're trying to accomplish. They are fearful about what's taking place that that the Israelites are coming in and taking over the whole land. So they're like, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pretend we live really far away. We're gonna go talk to them. We're gonna convince them that we're really far away, but we've heard about them. And before they get to us, we wanna make a treaty with them so that they don't come and conquer us and destroy us. And so they do all this stuff. They dress up and they raggedy clothes and, and just everything moldy bread. And they get it and they go and they talk to the Israelites. But here is this moment in verse 14 where everything shifts for Israel and here's what it says the israelites examined their food but they did not consult the lord they looked at the evidence that was being presented to them they looked at the moldy food and the worn out sandals and the worn out clothes it says they took a look at all of that and they're like oh yeah these guys must be from really far away i mean look their bread's moldy But they did not consult the Lord. So they enter into an agreement with the Gibeonites, and then God is angry. He's like, I did not want you to enter into an agreement with them. I told you to get them out of the land because it's going to be a stumbling block for you. This is not what I wanted. But this is the shifting point for Israel because they chose self-reliance instead of choosing to rely on God. And as I kind of have phrased here, really the idea of self-reliance is the beginning of self-destruction. Because when we rely on ourselves instead of being directed by God, we set ourselves up for destruction. This is exactly what happens to Israel. They begin to allow other customs in. They begin to enter into relationships with other people. And more and more, the things of God just begin to decrease in their lives because of their self-reliance. They stopped consulting God. They believed so quickly that everything that they had accomplished was them. And so their blessing that God gave to them starts them onto a path heading towards exile, which eventually God is going to remove them from their own promised land. But here's what we can read then not long after that, because again, that, all of that takes place. And then at the end of Joshua's life in Joshua chapter 24 is where we see Joshua saying, you guys are going to have to decide what you want to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua dies, he is buried. Now Israel has no leader again, okay? But here's what it says in Judges chapter 2 right after the time of Joshua, verse 10. This says we're talking about Joshua's death and it says after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. What a heartbreaking statement. After God has done all of these things, let's just revisit it really quickly. Taking the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt. He blesses them like the people of Egypt give them all this gold. They send them out into the wilderness. They go in through the promised land. They remain blessed through the promised land, into the promised land. They're living there. They're conquering. They're doing all of these things. But there is a generation that is born to this people that did not know about the powerful things of God. You know, I, I look at this, and this is one of those moments where I see like history repeats itself. Can I can I say this? I think that the world that we're living in today, we're witnesses to a generation that has yet to see the powerful things of God. We're we're you know. Probably your grandmother, maybe even your mom or your dad, they had stories about the powerful move of God and the awesome things that God did in this time or in this place Or they would talk about powerful church services, miraculous healings, the, the move of the power of God, the Spirit of God moving. They talked about all of those things. But now there's a generation that is coming to age that doesn't know anything about the power of God and has yet to experience the things that he's done, the mighty works that he has done. And as such, they look at it, and they're just like, maybe we should make another choice. Maybe we should follow after something else. Maybe we should look in another direction for the future of our lives, the peace in our lives. And I I believe that the generation that we're living in now is due for a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God. They need it. They need it, church. And, And really, that kind of falls on us. You know how a spirit of God move starts when the people of God begin to pray. When the people of God begin to seek the face of God, that's when the power of God gets unleashed to do something. And I'm telling you, there's a generation that needs that because they have yet to see how mighty and powerful God is. But because of that generation and the brokenness, we get right back into what I described last week is the sin cycle. Let's start the sin cycle the sin cycle is just going to go on and on and on throughout the rest of history. And even to this point today, again, starting with sin, then entering into oppression because the children of Israel sin, God sends someone to oppress them. Then they start to seek God through supplication. He raises up a savior and then they have a season of rest. And the book of Judges is the account of this sin cycle taking place 14 times. 14 times they're going to go from sin to oppression to supplication to salvation to rest then back to sin, to oppression, back through. They're just gonna keep doing it over and over. And every one of the judges that you read about is a representation of that sin cycle playing out in Israel's history. So you start with Joshua, then we go on to Othniel and Ehud and Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and finally ending with Samson. Every one of them is a representation of, of Israel going through that same cycle do it again do it again sin oppression cry out Savior rest sin oppre- they just keep doing it over and over and God keeps raising up people until the time of Samson because this is where it changes God watches this sin cycle take place over and over again, and then finally gets to a place where he doesn't even raise up judges anymore. He says it's so broken, it's so messed up. And then we read right after the time of Samson in Judges 17, verse 6, it says this, that in those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? Ringing a bell. Like maybe you've heard or seen something like this lately. Israel had no king, and so all the people just did whatever they thought was right. Whatever seemed good to them. I know that I'm a big uh, proponent of studying uh, cultural ideologies and thought. Postmodern ideology is the way that people ascribe truth to what they believe It's true for them, and you can have your truth, and I'll have my truth, and they have their truth, and this is true. We think that that's a new thing that has taken place, but the reality is, is it's as old as the Old Testament. That in the time where there was no king, when there was no kingdom, that the people were just doing whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. And how many of you know that that doesn't end well? How many of you have seen in the world that even that we're living in today could testify to the fact that a world that is without Jesus as their king has big problems? And this is exactly what we watch over and over again, this kingdom that God desires to build. And again, we talked about this through that series, The King is Coming, this idea that God says, I wanted to be your king. This is not about creating a righteous monarchy or raising up a righteous earthly king. God says, I want to be your king. And when I'm your king, things will be different for you. Just as he said to to, um, uh, the children of Israel back in Joshua's time, he said, if you would trust me, obey me, get into my word and and honor me with your lives and I'll bless you. That sin cycle takes him to the place where it's just so broken and so lost that it's like, I don't even know you anymore. God's like, I don't even know you anymore. And we watch this play out. And that's why I say the sin cycle continues. I do believe that if we were looking at the sin cycle today, we would say that we're probably entering the early stages of oppression. We look at the church and we're getting, we're getting frustrated, right? The church is getting frustrated from a a kind of a, a standpoint of, hey, we're starting to see people come against us, speak against the church, hatred towards Christianity, uh, hatred towards uh, evangelicals. We're, we're, we're entering into that season where there's going to be oppression because that sin cycle has played out over, and I'm not being prophetic when I say this, it's happened hundreds if not thousands of times throughout history until that oppression brings people to a point where they're on their knees. and And really, that is... The secret sauce, if you will, for a culture that says we need to end the season of oppression, that secret sauce is we as a people need to hit our knees and begin to pray and cry out to God like he's really the only thing that matters. And church, that's what it takes for the kingdom of God to be restored in people's lives. That's what it takes for the kingdom of God to be realized in our world and among the people that we live in. But again, Israel, they reject God as their king. They say, nope, give us an earthly king. Give us an earthly king, somebody who will rule over us, who will go before us. And God gives them what they want through Samuel. He tells them, yep, go ahead, give them their king. And so I have a couple pages here you, can, you probably can't read, but they're up here. These are the kings that God gives to Israel. and all, there were 43 kings that ruled over Israel and Judah. And these 43 kings, it starts off with Saul. God's like, okay, I'll give you a king. I'm going to raise up somebody righteous. So he brings in Saul. Saul starts out a good guy, ends up turning his back on God. By the time Saul's 40-year reign is ended, the kingdom of Israel ends up being divided into a northern and a southern kingdom. God's people, the land of Israel, the promised land that He gave to his people, ends up broken and separated, has to be put back together by David, but then his son Solomon also rules over it, but then from there it breaks again. And then we have a divided kingdom, which is what you read about in first and second chronicles, first and second kings. when you're reading in Jeremiah and Isaiah, when you're going through the prophets, you're reading about the broken kingdom of Israel, broken because they chose themselves and self-reliance instead of God. Now, all of Judah is constantly the descendants of David. David's bloodline continues to rule over Judah for quite a period of time. But in Israel, there are nine times where the kingdom is overthrown and somebody else comes to power. Then that person's overthrown and they killed that king and somebody else comes. It's it's terrible. And it continues that way until the point in 722 BC when the northern kingdom of Israel is completely destroyed and they're sent into the Babylonian captivity. 150 years later, the same thing happens to Judah. They are sent into captivity. God sends them into exile because he says, we've come to a point where I look at you, I look at the things I've done for you, and you're no longer my people, I'm no longer your God. We're not not one anymore. You have chosen for yourself, starting all the way back from the time when the Israelites inspected the bread instead of consulting God. It started that cycle to bring them to a place where they're in exile because they've chosen self instead of choosing God. And church, I look at it, And I see it, and I think for us, we can read these things, and we're like, wow, those people must have been so dumb. Well, if God doesn't return, and there's a history written about us 500 years from now, I can guarantee you I know what the preachers are going to be saying about us. Wow, those guys were so dumb. What were we doing? What were we thinking the world that we were living in? the brokenness that was around us. And again, I don't point this as a finger at people to say that we're all messed up, we're all screwed up. God says throughout the time of Israel's history that there was always a remnant, a small portion of people who remained faithful, but he still had to send Israel and Judah into exile as a whole because he said, I need to save the majority and not just the minority. Church, we're watching it happen. We're watching the sin cycle go through again. Where sin becomes rampant. I mean, let's, let's just take a poll, all right? Not that I'm a huge fan of those. How many of you would say that sin is rampant in our world? Okay, would anybody disagree? That's harder to tell. And anybody, you want to raise your hand and say, nope, sin is under control right now. We're good. Anybody? Okay. How many of you would say that the church is starting to undergo some oppression? Would we agree with that? Yeah. This is the exact same thing that's happened time and time again. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you think that the church has become so desperate that we're, re- that we're on our knees and on our faces before God? Right? But that's where the sin cycle takes us to. It takes us through a season of oppression until we reach the point of being so desperate and realizing that there is no other hope but God. And until we reach that point, we'll watch as we are further and further oppressed. We'll watch the world around us become more and more sinful. It's happened time and time again in history. The secret sauce, the hidden ingredient, the recipe that nobody wants to share is that we have to get on our knees before God and start seeking God like that's really the only thing that's going to fix it. That's really the only thing that's going to fix it is if we start seeking God like never before. God sends the people into exile, but he says this in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 33. As he's sending them away, he actually tells Jeremiah this before he sends them away. He says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts, I will be their God and they will be my people. This is what he promised to Jeremiah. Now understand this is 2,700 years ago. It's so easy for us as we sit back to just be like, yeah, but when's that going to happen? Well, it did happen. We're going to talk about it in depth next week, but it was when Jesus came. It was what we just celebrated in communion this morning, this remembrance of what Jesus did for us where he took the bread and he took the cup and he said, these are the symbols of the new covenant that God is making with his people. That this is not gonna be about relationship where only the priest can go in once a year and you've gotta keep offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, no. What I'm doing now is bringing a new covenant of relationship with people where they will be my people and I will be their God. And you know, if you look at it, we're going to look at this more next week. But if you look at it, what we celebrated this morning was the death and resurrection of Jesus. What he did for us on the cross. And the very last thing he says when he's on the cross the very last words that he breathes out as he's agonizing in death, it is finished. What's finished? The sin cycle's finished. Brokenness is finished. People not knowing God, not having access to God, it's finished. It's done. Jesus knew that his mission was as the Son of God was to come and to pave the way through His own blood for a new covenant with a broken people. And I I feel like I need to tell you this just so that we're all on the same page. There's not going to be a new, new covenant. There won't be a new, new, new covenant. There was this one. God said, "This, this is it. This is the last thing that I'm going to do. In fact, we read that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father victorious. That's what that symbolizes. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, kicked up his feet, said, It is finished. It's done. What I had to do to rescue humanity is accomplished. So what's left? What's left is for us to enter into that covenantal relationship with Jesus. What's left for us is to tell the world about what Jesus has done for them, to share with them that they don't have to live a life that is stuck in the sin cycle. They don't have to live a life where they feel like they're starting to do things, and then they start to feel like life is hard, and then they kind of, you know, kind of that kid in junior high, maybe you can relate to this, that's like, I got a big test tomorrow, so I'm going to cry out and pray to the Lord tonight, right? Or I just lost my job, and I don't know what to do, so maybe I ought to try praying, or things aren't going good with, with my wife or with my husband. Maybe we ought to try praying. No, God says, not, not that kind of a sin cycle where you're just going to lean into me when you feel like you need me or when it's convenient. But that you're going to have unaltered relationship with me. God says, I wanted to break the sin cycle for people. I wanted to break that Notion that we read about in Judges that said that there was a time when Israel had no king and everyone just did whatever they thought was right. He said, no, I want to be your king. I want to lead you. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. And that is what we celebrate when we take communion together. But church, we have to be the ones that make the decision to say, okay, God, I choose you. You've already chosen me. I choose you. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for choosing us. We thank you that you willingly gave yourself as a sacrifice for us when we completely did not deserve it. The greatest person that we have ever known in our lives did not deserve for you to give yourself as a ransom for their sins. But God, you did it because of your immense love for us. You paved the way for new covenant, new relationship. You paved the way for your people to get out of the sin cycle. To stop living for you a little bit and then not. Drawing close to you and then stepping away. Entering into sin and then going through punishment. God, you wanted to break that for your people. You even said it to Jeremiah, a time is coming. I want to give a new covenant. Lord, you desired to put your law in our hearts. Your desire to put yourself in our hearts so that we might have closeness with you like never before. I just want to ask you as we're in prayer this morning, and if you're here and you know, you think to yourself, I, I need that covenant. I need that agreement with God. I want to be completely dead to the sin cycle in my life. I want to live with the Word of God in my heart, with the presence and power of God in my life and in my heart. I want that, and I want to reject everything and anything else to have Jesus inside of me. If that's you, I just want to ask you to slip up a hand because I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Anybody else? There's quite a few of you. Thank you. Yeah. Can I ask you to stand as we close in prayer together? You know, this October, I will have been in ministry for 20 years. I can't even count how many times I've led people in the sinner's prayer to this point in my life. It's always a privilege and an honor to do it. But can I tell you, it's only the beginning. It's just the first step. What happens after that is choosing to walk in relationship with God. And just like he said to Joshua, he said, for as long as you study the word and meditate it and live according to it, I'm going to bless you and take care of you. But if you turn away from it, I can't bless you anymore. You know, we almost get this vision of God that he's like waiting for the moment when we're going to screw up so we can pounce. Go ahead. I know they're going to screw up. I know they are. God doesn't look at us that way. God looks with longing to bless us. Could this be the moment that I can finally bless them? Could this be the moment where everything changes and I can finally bless them? That's how God looks at us. So I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. And whether you raised your hand or you didn't, there were quite a few of you who raised your hand But I want to believe for the power of God, this new covenant that we celebrated this morning to break the sin cycle in our lives so that we can live every day for Jesus. But that's the decision you have to make after you leave this place. God, I'm going to live for you tomorrow. God, I'm going to live for you on Thursday. Next Saturday night at 2 a.m., I'm going to live for you. I'm going to choose you. And when we do that, that's when we honor the covenant that God has given us. So will you pray this with me this morning? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love and for your great mercy. I thank you for loving me enough to die for me and that you broke the sin cycle off of me. I want to choose you. I want to choose covenant with you. Come into my heart and be my God. I will be your child in Jesus' name. God, that is truly what we need. And for those who raise their hand today, God, I pray that in Jesus' name, that there would be a moment of demarcation in their lives where right now, God, everything changes, where you have been sitting and waiting for the hour of blessing, that this would be that hour. God, that they would open up the doors of blessing as they step into covenantal relationship with you, where they say, I am God's and he is mine. Lord, I pray that you would break the sin cycle off of your people. God, we don't want to be a people who just keep going and tripping over the same things over and over. And we know that your grace is sufficient, God. But we also know that the blood of Jesus paid for that to be broken off of us in Jesus' name. And so I pray that over each of us, God. I pray that as we go into our lives, as we try to live in a way that glorifies you, that we will truly honor your sacrifice and all that you have done for us, God. We thank you, Lord, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you said that prayer today, can I ask you to do something for me? Can you text JesusFLC to 94000? We would love to connect with you and just try to help you to take those steps into right relationship with God. Partner with you as you're taking those those first steps. Also, um, if you need prayer, our prayer team will be up here in the front and would love to pray with you. But go out and take a step in covenantal relationship with Jesus. Love on each other and be encouraged.